Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy Collins, the host of Theana Money. I almost titled this week's episode, which should have dropped a year ago. That's not a like continuation of that sentence, that's what I almost dropped it. Maybe I get the idea from Doug Wilson of naming articles and podcast phrases instead of words. I don't know, but I haven't done that yet. Almost did with this one. But then I thought that wasn't a title that would get many people to listen to it. So I changed the name to what it has now to be a bit more forefront with the title and hopefully get more people to check it out. But either way, this is still the episode that should have dropped a year ago. It would have dropped a year ago had Theana Money been up and running back then, but it wasn't. Theonomy just started earlier this year. In fact, I think if uh, Theonomy had started a year earlier and I had dropped this podcast episode a year ago, it would have been one of the most important episodes of last year, at least for the episodes that relate to the current cultural climate. But don't shut off the episode just because I said that. The reason I'm still dropping this episode now is because I think the concepts I will discuss in this episode, as they related specifically to something that happened a year ago, are vital for when that same thing arises in the near future. A near future that many in all political aisles are already talking about. So what is this thing I'm saying I would have done an episode about had Theana Money been up a year ago? Well, you will have to listen for just a minute longer to find out because first I want to ask you all to like or heart or all the other things this podcast episode and subscribe to the feed. Turn on the auto download so that way you don't miss any episodes and please tell your friends about the podcast to help get the message out there. And if you're listening on Sermon Audio, please jump onto one of the podcast catchers because soon I will have to pull Theana Money off of Cruciform Sermon Audio. But then there's still Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and a bunch of other places you can still jump on to listen to the podcast. All right, so what is this message that would have dropped a year ago had Theana Money been up and running then, but I think is still important enough today to have an entire episode about it? It is the Christian and voting, the Christian and elections. If you remember a year ago, there were a lot of debates, some quite heated ones, about Christians and voting in an election such as the presidential race in 2020. There were a lot of claims being made by various people, and these claims said various things about the two candidates. President Donald Trump and President Joe Biden, and various things about elections in general and that election in particular. 
So the plan for this episode is to talk about some of those claims and look at that election from a biblical perspective, then talk about how that can apply to elections in the future, not just a recap of one from a year ago. After all, people are already talking about the midterm elections that are still over a year away, and many of the things you hear me say today might apply very well to, actually it will apply very well to these other elections that are coming up in the future in the United States. So I'm hoping that this is an episode that right now when it first drops will help you all to think about these things in a more biblical light, and then also in the future people can listen to this episode a year from now or three years from now or anything like that, and that way it can be referred back to and still help people think through elections in the U.S. in a more Christian light. But before we dive into all that, let's look at the four options that are available in any presidential election in America and in other elections as well, not just presidential, governor, local elections. And remember, sometimes, maybe a lot of times, those local elections are actually way more important than the big elections because of things like the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. Uh, Actually, we're not just going to briefly mention these four options. We're going to do a lot of time, probably most of this episode, looking in deeper, zeroing in on each of these four options in an election from the options available to us as Christians. So the four options that are available to anyone, Christian or not, in any election in the U.S. are the Democrat candidate, the Republican candidate, one of the third-party candidates, or to abstain from voting altogether. Those are the four options. So let's tackle them in reverse order of how I just listed them. What I'm going to do is I'm going to look at all four of these, and I'm going to talk about reasons Christians would argue for that view, reasons Christians would argue against that view, and then some of the things about that view in light specifically of the 2020 race between Presidents Trump and Biden. So first, the option to abstain from voting. Some Christians would argue that both candidates, the Republican and the Democrat candidate, are so horrible that no believer can, in good conscience, vote for either one of them. A similar argument is that voting for the lesser of two evils is not okay because that is a subjective standard, not an objective standard. After all, didn't Calvin say that when we are confronted with an option of the lesser of two evils, We should choose neither. Another argument for voting for neither candidate is because the president has to swear with his hand on the Bible, and it is wrong to force someone to swear with his hand on a Bible if he is not a Christian. Because for him to do that, knowing he is probably lying with his oath, is sinful. Therefore, you can only vote for someone you truly believe is a Christian because otherwise you are forcing him to sin if the man you voted for wins the election. There are other reasons Christians will provide for not voting in an election, but those are two or three of the more prevalent ones, and uh, these are some of the reasons I have some more respect for, so they are some of the ones I wanted to highlight. Not saying that I think all the other arguments are bad. I'm sure there's a lot of good ones, but I try to keep these podcast episodes not too long. So a counter-argument that some bring up is that Christians have an obligation to vote for the best candidate with a viable option of winning 
to seek the good of their nation, so therefore it is wrong to abstain from voting. As it relates specifically to 2020, some Christians would argue that Trump is horrible, but Biden is so bad he makes Trump look like a saint in comparison. So the Christian cannot in good conscience vote for either candidate because both are so bad. That would be how this role here, this argument here applies to the 2020 race. The next option is to vote for one of the third party candidates. Christians who support this option would argue similarly to those who argue for abstaining from voting, at least in relation to not being able to vote for either major candidate in good conscience. But he or she would add that there is at least one candidate running with another party besides the Republican or the Democrat parties, a person who is one that a Christian can vote for in good conscience. A counter-argument would be that no third-party candidate will have a legitimate chance of winning a national election in the foreseeable future, or at least not winning the presidency. So this is no different than not voting at all. And at this point, the counter-argument is similar, if not the same, as the counter-argument to abstain from voting. As it relates specifically to 2020, some Christians would argue that Trump and Biden were both so reprehensible that he or she cannot in good conscience vote for either one of them. But that does not mean that Christians have to abstain from voting. He can still vote for a third-party candidate. On that note, can we start a theonomous political party? If we could get everyone who calls himself a Christian in America to vote for the theonomist party candidate, which I know will never happen. This is just hypothetical. But if that were to happen, we could basically decide who the new president is in every election. Although that also assumes that there's no large-scale fraud in any election. After all, it was the president nearly a century ago, FDR, who said presidents are selected, not elected. Uh, and then another argument for this for voting third party or from abstaining from voting either one and this is specifically as it relates to 2020 and you know granted this is a quote-unquote conspiracy theory argument and after all gospel coalition all of them will tell us conspiracy theories are satanic or whatever they're trying to promote right now but this would say that there have possibly have been or looking forward to it a year ago will be records kept of those who voted for President Trump and that there would be repercussions for those people in the future. And before you think this is crazy and obviously not true and maybe Gospel Coalition is right and people who think this are satanic or something like that, remember how many people a year ago were talking about how they were going to punish Trump supporters? Like, I'm pretty sure AOC explicitly said that. A bunch of other people said it. They were talking about punishing Trump supporters. So given that climate of a year ago and all of that, then I think that there were some Christians who were going more with this point here about wanting to keep their name off of any registry of ever having voted for Trump. All right, so the next point after that, the next option is the Republican candidate. The argument can go a few different ways here. It can also be very different. It can vary drastically when it comes to geography for local elections. Although with larger elections such as the president, 
there is only the one guy from each party for the entire nation, so geography plays less of a role there. One line of argumentation for Christians voting for the Republican candidate is that while the Republican Party is not the Christian Party, they are the lesser of two evils by far, and abstaining from voting for one of the third-party candidates is equivalent to giving a vote for the Democrat candidate by not giving one to the Republican candidate. So if you vote third-party, if you abstain from voting, they would say you're basically giving a vote to the Democrat by not voting for the Republican. Others argued that while neither side is the Christian party, Republicans are much better on abortion legislation, economic issues, homosexuality, transgenderism, etc., all this stuff. So Christians should vote for them because these are important areas in our laws and culture. Another thought is that the Republican party is the Christian party, and therefore we are obligated to vote for the Republican candidate. Concerning local elections, this is where geography can come into play. In much of the country, this is not true, probably in most of the country, but there are some parts of the country where most of the Republican candidates are believers or at least profess to be and demonstrate some level of fruit in keeping with repentance. However, that is not a true statement for the entirety of the nation, and Christians are constantly slandered for ignorantly believing this is the case. Are there some Christians who think that? Sure. Many of them are probably in those areas where the local Republican candidate is a member of his church in good standing, and he just doesn't realize how different other parts of the nation are. But the left, and Christian institutions trying to push leftist politics, or at least mitigate conservative politics in evangelical churches, try to convince us that this sums up most of the Christians in America, which it does not. A counter-argument to this would be that the Christian cannot vote for the lesser of two evils because that is to agree with evil in some form. Therefore, Christians cannot vote for an immoral candidate no matter how much better than the other guy he might be. Another counter-argument, and this one is about Trump and the 2020 election in particular, is that if we argue we cannot vote for Biden because of his stances on abortion and homosexuality, or to use the biblical term, sodomy, if we cannot vote for Biden because he is so pro-abortion and pro-sodomy, then why can we vote for Trump because he was also pro-sodomy? And as it relates specifically to 2020, some Christians would argue that while President Trump was not great, in fact, he was far from perfect, He's still 100 times better than Biden would be as president. And now that we're doing this episode nearly a year later, I think that's a fair point that they were right on that, that no matter how bad Trump is, he still was a lot better than Biden has been. And therefore, they have to vote for President Trump, if nothing else, than a not for Biden vote. Others, and by the way, some arguing for the second point, also argued for the first point because they can overlap. Others pointed out how much better the economy was under President Trump than under Presidents Bush or Obama. Remember that new normal of a 2% growth rate that we had under President Obama? The one we were told we'd never see broken again? The one that President Trump blew out of the water for half of his presidency? 
So they would argue that personal morality matters aside, and those are some serious issues with that. Trump has given us the best economy since the 90s, and that one was only so good because that was when the internet first blew up. So we should vote for Trump, if nothing else, for purely economic reasons. Some Christians, and although we are told these people are the majority, I think the majority fall under one or both of the previous two points, and these people are the minority. But some Christians think that President Trump is a believer, and therefore Christians should vote for him. I don't think Trump is a believer. I'm quite familiar with the church that Pence attended when he was governor, and despite some growing issues, it has historically been a good church. So I think Pence might be a believer, but I don't think that right now Trump is a believer. Lastly, we have the Democrat Party. Some people have argued that we should vote for the lesser of two evils, and the Democrats are, despite their problems, less evil than the Republicans. They would say that other issues such as social justice, economics, and immigration outweigh abortion, and they wrongly argue that Democrats are better than Republicans in all of those areas. Now, there are a lot of counter-arguments here, but I'm going to get into those shortly, so I'm doing this one a bit out of order compared with the other three. As it relates to 2020 in particular, some people would argue that despite the fact that Biden has some issues, Trump has a lot more, and therefore we should vote for Biden as the lesser of two evils. Orange man racist. Orange man bad. Dementia man good. So, Let's look at these four options in light of scripture and see what options are available to Christians. After that, we will ponder what we came up with in light of future elections, not just the one from a year ago. So I don't think you can make any argument from scripture that abstaining from voting is wrong. There's also a good argument in stating that Christians should, whenever possible, Choose neither when presented with an option between the lesser of the two evils. Therefore, I think that abstaining from voting is a viable option for the believer in 2020, in 2024, in 2028, and so forth. And not just in presidential elections, but in any election for a civil magistrate in our nation. Then there is the option of voting for a third-party candidate. If abstaining from voting altogether is a legitimate option for Christians, then I think this is an option as well. If you cannot in good conscience vote for either the Republican or the Democrat, I find no issue biblically with voting for a solid third-party guy who probably won't win. And I especially see no issue with this in smaller elections when the third-party guy has a decent chance of winning. Then we get to the Democrat and Republican candidates as options. This is where it gets a bit more dicey and more likely to get people angry as me. So this is the real fun part. So let's take the Republicans first. President Trump in particular and Republicans as a whole are wrong about a lot of things. Anymore, it seems that the Republicans believe whatever the Democrats believed a dozen years ago. In other words, Republicans in many cases are just slightly more conservative than the Democrats. And if you are trying to argue that I'm just some, like, super hardcore Republican, listen to episodes on economics, because most of the things I say go against what Democrats and Republicans both say on economics. 
Now, getting back to that point, that being said, I respect the argument in favor of voting for the Republican candidate, either as a lesser of two evils or because he is still good in some areas. I also respect the idea of not voting for the Republican candidate because you must choose neither when presented with the option of the lesser of two evils or because in the instance of 2020, President Trump seemed to give full support of homosexuality and Christians should view sodomy like they view abortion. We should never vote for a candidate who is in support of either one. Now let's get to the Democrats. Unless we are talking about a local election in an area so conservative that the Republicans and Democrats are both against abortion and against sodomy, then I'm going to say and say bluntly that voting for the Democrat candidate is not an option for the believer. Let's go back to the counter-argument I said a bit ago. People who argue that Christians should vote for Democrats often say that while the Democrats are wrong on abortion, they are better than the Republicans on so many other issues such as social justice and economics. Well, let's dive a bit more into that. Let's pretend for a second that the Democrats are better than the Republicans on economics and social justice. Does being better on those and maybe a few other things justify being wrong on abortion? Absolutely not. Would you argue that voting for Hitler, knowing the Holocaust was happening, was fine because he was better on economics and social justice than the other guy? Of course not. And before you say that it isn't fair to compare abortion to the Holocaust, I'd have to agree with you. It is unfair to compare the two because it's unfair to the Holocaust to compare it to abortion, not the other way around. The United States alone has taken five times as many lives as the Holocaust, and probably more than that with the underreporting of chemical abortion. So, the Holocaust is a horrible evil that Christians need to stand against. And I hope that Christians in Germany who knew what was going on were doing their best to stand against it. We know they were, people like Corrie ten Boom. And before you say more weren't, I think it, when it was happening, most Christians in Germany didn't know it was happening. But abortion has claimed in America alone at least five times as many lives as the Holocaust. So what does it matter that we have supposedly better economics and social justice for these people who die when they're only eight weeks since conception? Doesn't matter how much better the economy would have been for them had they been able to be born when they were murdered before they were born. So social justice, economic, all the other stuff doesn't justify abortion. And in fact, they aren't even better than the Republicans on things like social justice and economics. Now, there are Republicans, probably most of them, probably nearly all of them, pretty much all of them, who push government involvement in the economy far beyond what scripture allows. There are Republicans, and like I said, most, actually this one, not most nearly all of them. The other one was most nearly, if not all of them. This one is quite a few less, but still some of them. Some Republicans think intersectionality and critical theory and all its forms are good ideas. Apparently they learned from the Southern Baptists and decided that intersectionality is a helpful analytical tool. That's horrible. The Republican Party, if it wants to pretend to be the Christian party that it cosplays as, then it needs to repent of these and so many other things. 
but they don't push those things half as much as the Democrats do. You have the atrocious political party and the somehow way worse than that political party. There's also the issue with sodomy and transgenderism. The Democrat Party has been pushing that for years, and virtually all Democrats, at least on the national level, support both of them. But as of late, this is more of an argument for why you can't vote for Republicans or Democrats and need to abstain or vote third party than it is an argument for why you should not vote for Democrats. While in office, President Trump bragged that he was the first president in favor of same-sex mirage from the moment he took office, since President Obama pretended to be against it until it was politically expedient for him to be for it once again. So all things being considered, I would say that the Christian has three options in voting in the typical election in the United States. Abstain from voting, vote for a third-party candidate, or vote for the Republican candidate. Looking at the Democrat Party, I am saying that it is not an option for Christians to vote for them, and that in fact it is sinful for a Christian to know what they believe and what they stand for and all the wicked things they support and still vote for them. I would go so far as to say that pastors in 2020 should have confronted church members who, knowing what was going on and what he stood for, still voted for Joe Biden. Now let's think about this in light of future elections. The Republican and Democrat parties are both probably going to continue to get worse and worse unless God brings great revival and repentance to our nation. So believers in the United States can vote for the Republican candidate as a lesser of two evils to try to keep back the greater evils that will happen in our nation under the Democrat candidate administrations. But voting third party or abstaining from voting altogether are also viable options for believers. Maybe even better options, depending on how you're viewing all of these things. I'm going to try to leave a lot of deciding between those three things up to you as a more Romans 14 issue. With future elections, then in that regard, pray about it. Think about it. Think deeply about the election at hand and these various options. Do not go against your conscience. Whatever is not from faith is sin. If voting for the Republican candidate goes against your conscience, either vote third party or abstain from voting. Same with the other two options. If abstaining from voting goes against your conscience, then vote third party or vote through the Republican. And then for the last one as well. Whatever you decide, these days, if you argue for the Democrat candidate as the lesser of two evils, like Anya Wheelie did in 2016, you are wrong, just as he was wrong when he said that then. Vote for the Republican guy, vote for the third party guy, or don't vote at all, whichever you think is the most honoring to God, and don't sin against scripture and against your conscience as you do it. So this was this week's episode of Theana Money. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace.
and satisfies me. Your law is sweet.